0: Reading the Globe summarizes, synthesizes, and criticizes the week's most important and fascinating stories. Here's your host, Michael Washburn. This is Reading the Globe. It's May 18, 2022. I'm Michael Washburn, reporting from New York. Mandating French in Quebec Furious controversy and public demonstrations have raged this week over Bill 96, one of the toughest pieces of legislation so far drafted in the efforts of francophones to make theirs the official language of Quebec. A May 16 article by Elizabeth Zogalis on the website Global News describes how many anglophones in Montreal and other parts of the province fear the ramifications of such a hardball approach to promoting the use of French in the workplace, And public institutions the article quotes robert lecky a law professor at mcgill university saying that bill 96 goes further than past legislation because it mandates the use of french even in personal contexts such as when a doctor talks to a patient professor lecky also criticizes the bill's enforcement provisions saying they will shunt aside people's rights to be free of unreasonable searches It may give readers a sense of the slant of global news, to note that you have to go considerably further down toward the end of the article to find a differing view on Bill 96. The article quotes Marie-Anne Alapin, president of Société Saint-Jean-Baptiste de Montréal, drawing a distinction between personal bilingualism and institutional bilingualism. In other words, people will still widely use both languages, but the official language of Quebec, and the one used in business settings and transactions will be French. As a Montreal Gazette article in September 2020 made clear, Alipin, an actress and producer, is not just a sentimental or nostalgic francophone seeking to promote an official etiquette in daily life favorable to French. Alipin favors an independent Quebec. In a province where two referenda on this issue, in 1980 and 1995 respectively, narrowly failed to win the support of a majority of voters, Alipan hopes to succeed where past efforts have failed. The issue is a thorny one with no easy answers, but it is not hard to sympathize with Francophones who consider themselves the underdog in a nation whose political elites have done their best to favor English and to drown Quebec's distinct character with an endless tide of immigration from various parts of the world. Despite the failure of past referenda, Alapin's goals may not be as far-fetched as they seem. Perhaps if people become more inured to using French exclusively in certain professional settings, the idea of an independent, officially francophone nation of Quebec will come to seem less and less outlandish, and will come to look like an achievable reality. In the meantime, if Bill 96 becomes law later this year as expected, legal challenges are likely to play out in Quebec's courts for months to come. Time will tell. California Judge Nix's Gender Quotas Just when you may have thought there was no hope for California, Los Angeles Superior Court Judge Maureen Duffy Lewis last week made a sensible decision, striking down gender quotas that had forced corporations in the state to have a certain number of women on their boards. As Evan Simmon details in a May 16 article for California Globe, the judge's ruling finds that SB 826, which has been law in the Golden State for three years, violates the right to equal treatment and is therefore unconstitutional. Simmons' article recapitulates how SB 826 passed both houses of California's legislature in 2018 after eight months of wrangling. Later signed into law by then-Governor Jerry Brown, it mandated that any firm with executive offices in California would have to have at least one woman on its board by the end of 2019, and its scope subsequently expanded to require at least two female directors at companies with five directors, and at least three at companies with six or more directors. Corporations that fail to report their numbers or fail to meet the requirements of SBA 26 would have to pay fines ranging from $100,000 to $300,000. The law that is just going down to defeat is not only unconstitutional but impracticable. The issue here is not so much one of gender, It would be hard to exaggerate the idiocy of requiring corporations to adopt and enforce arbitrarily determined quotas for the composition of boards with huge responsibilities and, in some cases, for example in the medical industry, the power to make life-and-death decisions requiring highly specialized knowledge. You can require firms to hire and promote certain categories of people, but they do not have, nor can you give them, The ability to expand the pool of qualified candidates out there in society. Simmons' article takes up this issue and outlines a few of the problems here. What if there is no qualified female candidate available to serve on the board of a company? Suppose its rivals have already hired the qualified women. The corporation then would have to hire someone unqualified or cease expanding the number of directors simply to avoid falling afoul of the stipulations set forth in SBA 2.6. Here is a perfect illustration of the folly of holding businesses hostage to arbitrary metrics that have nothing to do with efficiency, competitiveness, profitability, or any of the traditional criteria on which businesses run. While Simmons' article does an excellent job of analyzing some of the logical and practical problems of SBA 2.6, it might have gone just a bit further in illuminating a psychological aspect of the issue. With SB 826 in force, men on corporate boards will know that they got to where they are through many years of hard work in intensely competitive industries, but some may suspect the women sitting across from them are there because of requirement to put them there. This can only poison morale and make workplace relations insufferable. Israel Defends Itself. As terrorist attacks continue to endanger the civilians, military, and infrastructure of Israel, Prime Minister Naftali Bennett has pledged a massive response, making use of helicopters and missiles, the Jerusalem Post reported on May 17. According to the Post's article, calls for a tough response have grown markedly in the aftermath of the killing of Noam Raz a veteran counter-terrorist operative, during an Israeli Defense Force operation in the city of Jenin last week, and another incident where IDF soldiers fatally shot a Palestinian man at a checkpoint when he ran at them with a knife, among other incidents. The article details how IDF soldiers have arrested numerous terror suspects in recent days, but clearly such actions have not gone nearly far enough to quell public fears of a sharp uptick in attacks and the need for the military to use its considerable resources to maintain order. It goes without saying that stopping incipient terrorist atrocities in their tracks is among the very highest priorities for any government. But the recent attacks that have further destabilized the West Bank and nearby areas in recent weeks and months come at a particularly sensitive moment for Israel, as the nation seeks to build its economy, promote itself as a dynamic, startup-friendly venue, and attract foreign direct investment. The website Trading Economics reports that Israel's economy, which many expected to grow in the first quarter of 2022, instead suffered an annualized 1.6% contraction during that quarter. Fixed capital formation grew at only 3.3%, compared to 14.7% in the same period a year ago, and both private sector and government spending fell markedly. Overall economic activity contracted by 0.4%, and the Bank of Israel expects the economy to expand 5.5% overall in 2022, compared to a relatively robust 8% in 2021, the website reports. Given trading economics disappointing figures, It is all the more imperative for Israel's military to crush any terrorist plots or actions that might further demoralize entrepreneurs, investors, and other citizens, and might send a message to the world that Israel is not a safe place to do business and invest your money. Even without these factors, the moral and political necessity of defeating terrorism is absolute. Israel must send a message that terrorism is a doomed undertaking, or... To paraphrase Eric Bonna in Steven Spielberg's two thousand five film Munich, don't mess with the Jews. Depp versus Herd. Johnny Depp's lawsuit over the alleged libel his ex-wife Amber Heard committed in a Washington Post op-ed piece continues this week, as does her countersuit, with Heard on the stand taking questions on a cross-examination from Depp's lawyer about their heated quarrels. On Tuesday, the courtroom in Fairfax, Virginia was the site of gruesome and graphic testimony about a fight between the couple during a trip to Australia in 2015 where Depp had acting duties in the fifth film in the Pirates of the Caribbean franchise. No pirate could be as beastly and depraved as Heard has accused Depp of being. One of the most harrowing parts of a trial filled with disquieting testimony was Heard's claim that Depp committed sexual assault with a bottle. Jurors saw a photo of the bottle, which was intact despite Heard's claim that she feared it was broken while inside her body. The gruesome testimony along with Depp's claims to have lost the tip of his middle finger when heard through a vodka bottle at him, and to have hidden from her when she went on her rampage looking for him, is the subject of a May 17 article in the New York Post by Elizabeth Rosner and Steyana Farberov. The trial really is a mess of accusations and counteraccusations, with both parties claiming to have suffered grievous abuse at the hands of the other. Depp's lawyer presented a handwritten note in which Heard professed her desire to rip Depp apart, signing her name as Slim, a nickname the two used for her. Before anyone jumps to conclusions about Heard's note, it is well to understand the ambiguous personal nature of it. Lovers, even or especially quarreling lovers, may communicate through their own idioms and verbal quirks which others fail to understand. At the same time, There is pretty considerable evidence here, and in past revelations about Herd's character and tendencies, that she could be pretty horrible, and Depp clearly was on the receiving end of some serious abuse. It will require many more hours of highly unpleasant testimony, making these legal proceedings a curse for people of good taste and a godsend for clickbait-hungry tabloids and streaming services. Written and read by Michael Washburn for Audio Hopper. Original production. Most podcasts are awful. Yo, most news is noise. You need real news narrated. You need Audio Hopper human narrations of the most compelling news, culture, and entertainment stories. Audio Hopper real news narrated in the App Store.